Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you about another great podcast. The First Draft Podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. Keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL Draft every Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on at Alabama with Brandon Miller. Also, we've got your voicemails, but first... Well, first, Jake Paul got his ass kicked on Sunday. I just wanted to throw that out there right fast. Um, I mean, some of you may not have been aware of that, you know, and I think people think I'm happier about him getting his ass kicked than I actually am. I really do, right? Like, there were blog posts, Bobani Jones delights in Jake Paul. I ain't really delight in it. Like, I don't get anything out of that dude losing. I wouldn't lose anything off of that dude winning. I just, look, this is where I think people got it wrong. Jake Paul snapped at me in part because I asked him what would happen if he lost a fight. And he's like, I don't even think about that. You know, he went into super duper fighter mode. But see, here's the thing. I don't think of Jake Paul as a fighter. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that I think of Jake Paul as a promoter. Like I think of him as somebody who sells. And my question was about how does this sell if you lose? And you could say that a boxer never thinks about losing. Okay, fine. But a dude that's selling is always thinking about playing B. And so that's what I was trying to figure out about to do. But here's where I got to give him a certain measure of credit. I got out there on Game Theory talking about he was fighting a a legitimate boxer. And a lot of us had parroted this line that he was fighting a legitimate boxer, this Tommy Fury dude. Man, Tommy Fury ain't fought nobody. I think he got like six, seven fights or had going into that. No, like no terribly different than Jake Paul. He's a reality television star. He just kin to a dude that was the heavyweight champion of the world. That's it. But we fell for it too. Like his hustle was so strong. He actually had me out here thinking that this dude he was fighting was a boxer. Like I didn't think he was like a, a world champion level boxer or anything like that. But he barely a boxer. He just related to one. That's it. Bruh. Like Jake Bow got us. Except that not really a boxer. Put the paws on him. Put the paws on him. My man was talking about it. he was sick twice in camp. Shoulder got hurt. Okay. It don't really matter, dog. It don't really matter. You took that L. That's all it is. I'm sure he made a lot of money out of it. But see, that the thing that's interesting about a dude like him, right? You could, you could view him as like being some kind of like totally shameless hustler and all he cares about is getting his bread and there's going to be a rematch or whatever it is. Uh-uh. You saw how hurt his feelings were, right? And I'm not judging him for that. If I got my ass kicked in front of the world, my feelings would probably be hurt too. But don't think for a second that that cat ain't out here trying to win and then he doesn't have like some competitive part in him. Oh no, he is embarrassed right now because nothing's more embarrassing than getting your ass kicked in front of people. I mean, if you think about it, think about every time you've seen somebody get their ass kicked in front of people. It's been embarrassing. The person who took the L, certainly embarrassed, may not have come to school the next day or the day after that. In some cases, may have transferred schools altogether. 
I went to college with a dude who was once made to jump out of a second floor window, never to be seen again. Yeah, it was a tough situation. I actually feel bad for the dude in retrospect. Someone who may have been a legitimate crazy person kicked in his door, alleging he did something that he is adamant that he did not do, but he jumped out the window. And the only other time I ever saw him, I think it was two days after I was walking across campus, he was talking to somebody and all I heard him saying was, man, you got people making you jump out of windows. And so the dude, old face, that's what I called him. I don't know what anybody else called him. He had a real old face. Never to be seen again. All I'm saying is that was terribly embarrassing. Like, like that's 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 where Jake Paul is. He took something terribly embarrassing. There we go. I've already talked about Jake Paul uh, more than I intended to talk about Jake Paul, but I was running doing the rundown of what I want to talk about. And Parker's like, "Oh, you're not gonna talk about Jake Paul?" And it's like, "Damn, I guess I kind of got to right. Like we're linked now. I guess that's what it is." But I ain't really about giving that dude too much shine. I did see. I ain't realized this, Parker. Did you know that our company was gonna be broadcasting that fight? No, that was a shock to me when I uh, looked up and realized I could get the fight for free. And I was like, oh, that's the only way I was going to watch this thing. I, I, I wasn't watching it at all. Like, like I, that was never something I was interested in doing. But I didn't realize we was in on it. He had been over there. You know, he getting that Showtime money. Like, that's the only thing that does bother me is that what he is offering is sports for people who aren't sports fans. And I don't care about that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not... He is not, there's so many better boxers that I don't watch. And so, no, I'm not interested in watching him. I can't imagine that watching like the actual fight involving him to be interesting. And I don't find him to be personally compelling. But people were on it, man. People in my office like, yo, I got to go watch this. Yeah, I really, like, it's worked. Like, you can say what you want about it, man. But the game he running has absolutely worked. Like, I was shocked when we were doing that story. Like, how many people cared about him? Like, the visceral reactions that he generated and is largely parents who hate the dumb things their kids like. Like that's a, that's a significant part of it, but no, like he had the game going, but again, and again, I'm not saying this to stun on the dude. I'm asking this sincerely. Now that he's caught an L who cares. Like when you felt like there was some measure of building action to it, I could halfway see how you fell for it, but he just lost. So like, you know, at this point, who cares? And if you do care, you really got to ask yourself, the f*** is wrong with you? Anyway, Sunday was a very interesting uh, afternoon of NBA basketball. One, the Lakers and their game against Dallas. Now look, Dallas going to have some problems because figuring it out with Luka and Kyrie, once they got it, they got it, right? But those two dudes are just a little bit too similar in style of play. Not exactly the same, obviously, but just a little too similar. And we even saw with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, when you got that kind of skill overlap, it can be a little tricky figuring out exactly how you're going to do it. But they were up, what, 27 points in the second quarter? And that lead was all gone by the third? Now, that tells me a couple of things. One, these Lakers are better Lakers. Like, I did not think they were going to be able to make moves that legitimately improved the team. They did. It, not improving them to a point where they're a championship contender, right? But they are a lot better, right? There's no way the team before those trades is getting down 27 points and winning the game. Two, interesting thing about watching the Lakers in that game. Anthony Davis winning, got it, Right? And one thing about the way we view the Lakers, in some way their roster can be the same, but the way we view them ultimately be different, is if Anthony Davis is out here in go-get-it mode, 
And that's where he was. Because that's those growth spur guys have talked about this. They could be a little bit weird. They don't so much love to taste the blood in that way, right? Like they enjoy playing basketball, then they stumbled into greatness because suddenly they were really tall in a way they didn't expect to be. It can often take them a while to like come around to being that dude. But if you saw him and the way he was kicking it in that game, I hadn't personally seen that Anthony Davis before. And that's important because LeBron went down with that twisted ankle and he got up and he got back going because he's just indestructible, right? But that ain't going to be the last twisted ankle or whatever it is that comes up with LeBron at this point, man. The dude is in his 20th year in the NBA. Like the likelihood of being him being able to stay healthy for the rest of the season is low. Right, he might be there for the last game they play, yeah, but for all the ones in between, you asking for a lot here, which means that Anthony Davis got to occasionally go in to go get it mode, and he did that. So, like, that would be encouraging for you if you are a Laker fan, right? At the very least, you feel like you got a team that you can feel good about. There you go. Also, um, Jokic had a forty-point uh trip dub in overtime against the Clippers, a 40-point trip dub on 21 attempts from the floor, and he didn't make any threes. He only shot one. So, the Jokic MVP discussion is ramping up. Okay. The bottom line is he's the MVP. There's The only way that he's not the MVP is if people decide they just don't want to give it to him. That's it. Like, you go look at the numbers. You go look at the performance of the team. You don't really have a credible argument for him not being the MVP. Now, it is possible that you can be the MVP and not be the best player in the NBA. It's not a foreign thought. You've seen it happen many times before. The best player in the NBA, if you ask me, is Giannis, right? And if you go number two, we're looking at Jokic and Embiid and which one you pick is somewhat a matter of aesthetic choice the thing that makes him be it's just hard to ignore those games where he just becomes a complete and total vortex in the paint and shuts everything down like the thing that Giannis and MB can do that Jokic heretofore has not demonstrated is just the ability to take over a game on both ends and what Jokic can do is make your offense unstoppable but not to the point where like, yo, Jokic is out here. We can't get no buckets. And it becomes a larger issue with the Nuggets because they don't have anybody that can really do that. And that's where their shortcoming is as a team. They might have the most talented or the best front court in the NBA. Like their front court is Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter, and Nikola Jokic. Aaron Gordon is either Aaron Gordon or Jamal Murray is like their fourth best player. What? Like, whichever one of those guys that you want to pick as their number four, because you might think Porter's number four. That's fine. Okay, Michael Porter is your fourth best player. But they don't have anybody that is a difference-making defender. That's going to be the question where it comes down with them. And as like with them beating the Clippers last night, the question with the Clippers is, in the postseason, is Kawhi Leonard going to be able to be a difference-making defender at this point in his career? Because that's a big part of the equation of what you get with him. Like, offensively, he has come back around from the slow start. But is he going to be a difference-making defender? That becomes the question. But I'm talking about all of that, and let's get to what's real here. Dame Lillard scores 71 points. Now, because of the threes and everything else, we are at a point where Donovan Mitchell has 71 points the other night. Um, When I was a kid, 
the only person I ever saw put up 70 points was David Robinson. Michael Jordan never even got around to putting up 70 points. Kobe put up that 80, and it was nuts because nobody that we had seen with our own eyes had really done that. And as I recall, when David Robinson put up the 71, it was one of those we're trying to get you the scoring title games, the last game of the season, so I think they were doing a lot of fouling to get the ball back and stuff like that. These cats are just putting up 71, man. Look, I realize it was a different game. Parker, did you see that in the All-Star game when Lillard pulled up from half court? Or was it behind half court, but he just pulled up? Yeah, uh, his range has been absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't a heave. It wasn't off one leg. It was a jump shot. It did not look like he had to really put his ass into it either. Like, it was just a jump shot. He is incredible, and Lillard is in a space where I can't think of too many people who exist in it. He said, you saw he said on that podcast where he was like, uh, you know, y'all better hope I never win no championship in Portland, all of that stuff, da-da-da. Dog, you ain't never gonna win no championship in Portland. Like, that's that's just what it is, and we're okay with that. I can't think of any player near his stature that if he doesn't win a championship, we're going to be okay with that. And you can say what you want about timing, right? Because one thing is his prime was in that prime of the Warriors and everything else. So was everybody else's. Like, we're not going to cut James Harden no slack if he doesn't wind up winning the championship. Now, granted, he's done some bouncing around to make it happen, and maybe that's an element of it with us with Dame, but he's the one that's made that call. I'm not saying that we should unfairly malign him if he doesn't win a championship, just to be clear, right? I'm not doing that. However, there ain't as many dudes ever as good as Dame who are probably going to walk out of here empty-handed, probably not even with a trip to the NBA Finals, and we'll be like, yo, but you did your best. It's a dude that's going to be on the NBA 75 team. I'd be very curious to know if you go through the list of guys on that 75, how many of them never made the NBA Finals? I'm legitimately curious. Off the top of my head, it's Lillard, Dominique Wilkins, and Steve Nash. Those are the only three that I can think about that did not ever make the NBA Finals. I imagine they some of those old-timers when it was an eight-team league and the Celtics were going every year. Like you might be able to pull one of those out your keister. But Lillard's going to be that one guy. That's it. But, I mean, not the one because I told you two others. Anyway, um, this is going to be an interesting close to this here NBA season. Nobody knows who's going to win a championship. Like, at least in the East, I feel like we know it's going to be one of two, maybe, maybe, maybe three teams. But we got a pretty good handle on what's going on over there. But I think the late All-Star break, giving you, like, this pause, and then now it's, like, 20 games left, and it's a race to the finish, and it hasn't been the tankathon that people thought it would be for people trying to get Big Vic. That hasn't really happened. All the teams are in it. The play-in, at least in the West, is probably going to have some big names in it, which like it was with the first play-in. Like, this is interesting stuff for the NBA. And one thing I'm trying to do now with the NBA is don't think about it in terms of the health of the NBA. Just think about it in terms of whether you enjoy what you're going to get to watch, right? And it's probably going to be a doozy. And that ain't a bad thing. Of course not, because a doozy is never bad.
except when it is. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so this Brandon Miller story. I was actually I was uh, on the radio in Raleigh on Friday with my guys Joe Ovius and Joe Gilio, and I was talking generally about the fact that I don't know anybody who plays college basketball. Like by name, men's college basketball players. Like how many of them do you know? Dude, Duke got a seven foot tall white dude who plays like a guard. And America don't even know to hate them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's just different. Like the resonance that it has across the board is different. And I don't know any of these people because this never comes up at my job. You know, this is this is something that is completely different. I would say than as recently as certainly ten years ago, but maybe even five, six, seven, right? But I just there's nobody that we really know. And so I had gone through and looked at like a couple of mock drafts and. I had seen the name of somebody named Brandon Miller, um, who's at Alabama. And somebody has sent me the link to the story about Miller. And it had his name in the headline. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's a guy from Alabama uh, named Brandon Miller who plays on the basketball team. And then I got in the story. And I'm going to admit, I don't really have the greatest handle on this story. And what I mean by not having the greatest handle. So apparently he got a text from his man's who told him to bring a pistol to whatever the place is. But it is also said that Brandon Miller may have never actually touched the pistol. And so I don't like fully understand how you bring the pistol, but don't touch the pistol. But anyway, the allegation goes that the pistol was then brought and then a woman was shot, right? And Parker, if I'm not mistaken, it was over um, a thwarted advance. That That is correct, yes. So one of these gentlemen made an advance, you know, stepped to this woman. She wasn't with it. Mm-hmm. And they wound up shooting her. 
Allegedly, yes. Yeah, which is the single most patently absurd thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is an under-the-jail sort of situation um, when you talk about that. Like, that's just, I just can't, I, I can't get it. Now, Brandon Miller played in Alabama's game the other night. And apparently, they had been doing this thing in the intros where one of his teammates pats him down and uh, searches him for a weapon, which they also did after all of this had swirled up. The reason I bring that up, that was really, really stupid. Okay? 19-year-olds have a way of being really, really stupid now i am not saying this to use stupidity as an absolution from whatever responsibility brandon miller has for what happened that night okay but i'm gonna run this by you right fast let's just say somebody tells you they are somewhere and now they need a gun in that place. Does that sound like a smart place to go? Like let's just let's just let's just think about it right there. I need my gun. Can you bring that to me? You should probably be leaving that place. And not to get your gun, just to leave. But hey, maybe you can tell yourself, I'm leaving to go get the gun, and on the way to the gun getting, you can cool off, and you can get right. Maybe that's what it is. But do you realize how incredibly stupid it is for somebody to call you and say, bring me my gun, and you'd be like, be right there. Now, I did have someone make a point that I did think was worth considering which is uh, we are clearly dealing with someone who does not handle it well when being told no. And so when this person tells you to do insert thing here, I could understand perhaps how you felt to measure peer pressure to do that. I can see it, right? But I don't know from where I am that Brandon Miller knew that he was taking a gun to somebody so that person could kill somebody. I don't know that. I don't know what the hell he thought somebody would need the gun for while also thinking it would be safe for him to go to the place, right? But I don't know what in the world was going through his brain. I don't. The police in Tuscaloosa said that the reason they didn't charge him is because there wasn't anything to charge him for. It feels terribly uncomfortable for understandable reasons that Alabama has the dude out there on television playing basketball. Like imagine if you some kind of kin to this woman who was killed. What are you thinking as you're watching this as you most certainly hold Miller responsible for what ultimately happened, right? Every argument for it being a bad look for Alabama, I totally understand. 
But my question is, what exactly are they supposed to do? And I don't, I personally don't have an, I, I don't know what it is that they're supposed to do. Because like I say, in the end, or at least right now, all we know is that dude did something incredibly stupid. I would say that he did something that is incredibly irresponsible. Do I think that he was intentionally facilitating a murder? I will say I don't think that's what he was doing, but I'm not saying, I'm not arguing that he wasn't. I just don't know. Now, the folks at Alabama, I would operate under the presumption that they know a little bit more than I do, right? I can only hope, because I can't even really say assume, I can only hope that they've got the information and they've looked at it and that has led them to a conclusion that Miller himself should not be punished. And I can only hope that that's on the up and up. The problem is he's too good for you to assume that this is on the up and up. Like this is a dude that looks like he's going to be a top five pick in the draft, right? This is Alabama having maybe their best basketball season ever. Certainly their best season since the Wimp Sanderson days. Okay. So you can't just assume that the school is doing right. But something to consider, and this is something that I think gets lost in these things, and it's interesting that it's happening at Alabama. I forget which player it was, but one of uh, Nick Saban's guys had gotten into some measure of trouble a few years ago, and he did not suspend him, and there were a lot of questions as to why he didn't suspend him, or didn't put him off the team, right? Like it was some measure of discipline that he didn't enact that people were wondering why he did not go farther. And Saban made the point that he wasn't going to issue a punishment against his player to satisfy the public's desire to see that player be punished, right? And part of his point in argument was that his program had a responsibility to look out for this player, even if this player has done something that he should not have done. They still have an obligation to him. And I think that this applies to Brandon Miller, whether you like it or not. Because one thing that does happen in times where these college athletes get in trouble, what everybody wants is for the program to turn on them, right? They want the program to turn into an agent of the state. Um, You'll notice that people get very, very resentful when they find out that a college athlete has gotten into some legal trouble and he is able to procure the services of a very, very capable lawyer who happens to do his pro bono work on behalf of the athletic department. Like, people really get mad at that. And I'm like, why are you mad at somebody for having a good lawyer? You know what I mean? Like, the the schools ain't going to pay them. The least the school could do when they get them in trouble is help them get a lawyer. Right? We're not talking about bribing jurors. We're not talking about buying a judge. We're talking about a legitimate American right. And you think that all they entitled to is the worst lawyer they can find. You see what I mean? And so for Alabama, I'm willing to entertain the possibility that they know what's going on, that they look at this player, and they are doing, of course, what they think is best for the program, but also to a degree dealing with what they think is best for the player. Now, of course, 
all of this could be solved to a degree if Brandon Miller could just talk to us about it. But he can't. (laughs) For a zillion reasons, he can't. And for a zillion reasons, Alabama can't tell us nothing about it either. Right? So all we know in watching this is I saw this dude's name in a story about a woman getting killed and he had a part in it. There is a fair argument to be made. That's enough to where we just can't keep putting this dude on television. Right? That is a fair point to make that we just can't have this. But I don't know enough to know if that is fair or not to the dude. I don't know enough to know if this is a right play by the university. Right? Like, I just don't have the answers on it. And I think that this is one of those things where in large part it's okay to say, yo, I'm not really sure how they should handle this. But I'll say, if they made a decision that they did not want Miller on the floor out of respect to the family of the deceased, I'd say, okay, I understand that. If Alabama were to say they're taking them off the floor just because people are complaining, nah, I don't really care that much about that. That is where I do believe the school has an obligation to the player that is greater than the obligation to y'all. The family? That one might be a slightly different discussion. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. Hi, this is Peter Grant. I'm a reporter with The Wall Street Journal. I just wrote a story about the day of reckoning that's fast approaching in the office building business because of remote work. As anyone who's worked in an office knows, employees who spent most of the pandemic working from home are returning to business districts at a slow rate. That's resulted in more vacant space, downward pressure on rents, and now a growing number of office buildings have been defaulting on mortgages. This trend, of course, has been very painful for the landlords of office buildings, as well as small businesses that heavily rely on office workers. But the potential damage is likely to go much further than that in the U.S. economy. So let me explain. Like other forms of commercial real estate, office buildings are highly leveraged. In fact, there's more than $1 trillion worth of debt outstanding that's backed by office skyscrapers, suburban corporate parks, and other types of office property. That's trillion with a T. So if a lot of office building loans go sideways, it's going to send shockwaves through the entire financial system. Up until now, there haven't been many foreclosures because office building landlords and their lenders have been hoping that at some point employees would come surging back to offices. But in fact, the return rate in many big cities is only 50% because of new hybrid and remote workplace strategies that companies have been adopting. Landlords are now reconciling themselves to the fact that office usage will probably never return to what it was before the pandemic. And adding fuel to the fire, the spike in interest rates has made it much more costly for them to refinance their mortgages when they become due. Conditions are likely to get worse in the coming years. Consider this statistic. Cushman & Wakefield, a big commercial real estate services firm, is predicting there will be 1.1 billion square feet of vacant space by the end of the decade. That's more than 750 Empire State Buildings, all empty. This is Peter Grant. Thanks for listening. Hey, man, can you imagine what it was like to be those landlords 
They thought they were just going to be rolling that money over forever and ever and ever. And every time you start seeing about the push to go back to the office and where it comes from, this is a giant sector of the economy that just looking belly up. Like, like Midtown Manhattan is never going to be the same. Never going to be the same. Like you go to any of these spots where people was really out here working like that. It ain't never going to be the same. And I be feeling bad for them dudes out there, man. In the, in the little kiosk selling uh, magazines and cigarettes and all that stuff. Hey, man, the money ain't never going to be right for them ever again. Because this is, it's, it's just not going. And then after that, the interest rates go up. Like, these are people that really felt like they were in something that would never stop. Like, you ain't even got to work. Real estate? in Like, in New York? I mean, never got to think about this, man. And that's why I remember at one point when they were like, yo, we got to get these people back into the office. I was like, no, nah, you're trying to get these people back into these restaurants. You're trying to get people back into these places that survive on foot traffic. But it's a wrap on that, man. It's a wrap. So it's going to be very interesting to me to see how those markets like adjust and evolve because if they're not using that space for offices, I'm not sure what else they're going to use it for. I mean... They're not going to let homeless people stay there or anything. That would make too much sense. All right. This next story is from education. We all know about long COVID, the lengthy post-infection sickness that has afflicted millions of Americans. But there's another kind of long COVID. Ironically, it afflicts the group of people who are least vulnerable to the coronavirus itself. That's the young, the primary, high school, and college students whose lives and education were upended by the pandemic. Months or longer of missed in-person schooling time led to unprecedented learning loss among American students. According to one major assessment of nine-year-olds, U.S. students saw the equivalent of two decades of progress in reading and math scores erased during the pandemic. Worse, the burden fell heaviest on poor students of color who were also more likely to have lost a caregiver to COVID itself. All that has added to an ongoing pandemic of mental health challenges among the young, which by virtually every measure we can find, has been getting worse and worse. While politicians still argue about the merits of closing in-person schools during the pandemic, what we need now is a determined national effort to make up for the learning loss experienced during COVID and the mental trauma our young people went through. Otherwise, the other long COVID could lead to a truly lost generation. All I got is wow. <laughs> wow. And Parker, so I get this right. He's talking about the impact of long COVID there. Uh, yeah, and the long-term effects of COVID, not just in like your body, but also like how it, how it's going to affect like the next and future generations to come. Uh, I taught the summer of COVID mm-hmm. online, and kids just didn't learn the same way after everything shut down. There's just no way that they were going to be able to. There's too many distractions at your home and we've heard all the stories and yeah, those effects, those effects aren't ever going anywhere. Yeah, no, this is like, I need to look this stuff up more now, but when Katrina hit in new Orleans and basically it was a whole year of no school for a lot of kids, like, so 18 years later, which is by the way, where we are now, where, what were the effects like what did we have like the research that's going to start you know i'm certain that's certainly been coming from that in gradual points it'd be very interesting to see what that is but with like the having to go learn from home and all of that stuff and try to figure that out like it's man these last three years have just kicked our 
asses, man. Like in just about every way that you can think of. And so much of this, you know, this is like mood stuff, like mental health, right? Aside from when we start talking about the physical things and we start talking about all these workplaces and everything else where they just can't get people to work because there's the dead people and the people who simply aren't healthy. Like we got a lot to catch up on. All right. This last story is from the environment. My name is Alana Oktar, and I'm a senior health reporter for Insider. The Ohio village of East Palestine, located on the state's border with Pennsylvania, has experienced several nearby catastrophes that released synthetic chemicals into the environment, which has residents worried about chemical exposure. On Monday, an explosion at a metal factory 70 miles from East Palestine created a blast that injured at least 14 people. More than a dozen people were taken to the hospital for burn wounds, and a large plume of smoke was seen billowing out of the building. The explosion also caused a shower of molten metal debris to rain over the surrounding area. The explosion occurred within a month of the catastrophic train derailment, in which cars turned over and burned for days. Some cars contained highly explosive chemicals, so crew workers conducted a controlled release of the chemicals into the air and possibly into the water and soil. The chemicals contained in the train derailment include the human carcinogens, vinyl chloride, and benzene. These chemicals can be dangerous for people in high doses, and the Environmental Protection Agency is still in the, quote, early stages of risk assessment for the derailment, Karen Dannemiller, an associate professor of environmental health science at Ohio State University, told me. The EPA said on its website it has not yet detected dangerous levels of these chemicals in nearby homes, but some residents have reported animals in the area dying and experiencing potential signs of chemical exposure. Hey, man, this story has been brewing for a while now. And I could be wrong, but it still seems like unless you're kind of extremely online, you don't really know what's going on here. But uh, it looking like Chernobyl out there. And early on, I think you may have seen it where there was a reporter who was trying to get out there and find out what was going down. And they was roughing him up and locked him up and everything else. Like, this is a thing where people are afraid of the water and everything else. Like... We have so many things that go on and swirl at any given point that we just can't keep up. Like, I don't think that this is something that people don't care about. I just don't know how much bandwidth people have to keep up with all the stuff that goes on. Like, I was thinking about this. Uh, and Parker, I know this will mean nothing to you because you were. Have you ever heard of the Iran Contra scandal? I have. Okay, okay, that's all I need. That's all I need. That's all I need. I just need to know if you heard of it, right? Yep. So the thing about the Iran-Contra scandal is, like, it really just boils down to some lies, you know, selling some dope or, you know, operating in one sector illegally to get some money to help fund something else, right? Like, this, this was what this was. But it was a huge thing. Shut down the news, all the testimony, all of that stuff. It shut America down when Iran-Contra was a thing in like 85 and 86. Does Iran-Contra do a thing if it pops up in 2023? Like, I have no idea what it would take to truly rate as a scandal in this day and age. Because this science fiction thing happened, 
And in one of them places where if it's an election year, everything matters in Ohio, right? It's the whole thing. Uh Uh-uh. It ain't really... And it's not that nobody's talking about it, but it is not being covered with the fervor one would expect, given like what appears to be the magnitude of environmental catastrophe that we've got there. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we started coming out of here with like three-eyed fish and honestly three-eyed kids. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, it seems to be terrible, terrible. And a lot of y'all didn't know about it until you heard about it right here. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. Uh, the voicemail's topic for this week is tell us about the time you got dunked on or you saw someone get dunked on. All right. Um, who we got first? Uh, this first one is from Evanston. So I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, Northwest suburbs. Shout out to Unincorporated Displays. I'm playing high school basketball. It's my junior year. And we have to go to Evanston. Turns out my family's from Evanston, like my whole family. Like my, my last name holds power there because people on the court are asking me like, hey, man, you cousin with so-and-so? And I'm like, well, I, yeah, I'm related to all of them out here. Anyway, I'm not a starter my junior year, but I'm getting varsity minutes. And on one play, like Evanston's moving the ball. They got a couple of guys who are getting D1 looks. And there's a guy who's 6'1 on the wing. His name was Davis Robinson. I will remember his name forever for this reason. So the ball gets swung to the wing. Um, I'm 5'10". I've, I've, you know, I touched the rim. I've dunked a basketball before. Didn't do it a lot. Probably did it once in my life, but it was a big deal. But the ball gets swung on the wing. Davis Robinson beats my man on a cut back door. And we both jump. Watching the tape, my friends got jokes because they're like, yo, you jumped up and you guys were up even, then you stopped. And I swear he came one-handed and just banged on me. All right, I don't fall down. I land. The ball rolls to the wall. Now, Evanston is a pit, and so everybody's looking down on me, and they're all just hollering. Not only are they hollering, like I look up and I got cousins in the stands, and I'm like, oh, this is a bad look. So I have to walk now and go get the ball. I get the ball. I inbound it. We cross half court. And my coach calls a timeout. I get to the bench and he goes, what were you thinking? I'm like, man, I was trying to play health defense. So I get dunked on. It was bad. We lose the game. Fast forward to the summer. I am in a movie theater, nowhere near Evanston, like several towns over. And I'm there with the girl I'm dating at the time. It's high school. And I'm sitting there and the movie is about to start. And this dude whispers from behind me, just goes, hey, your cousin tell you about me? And I look, and sure enough, it's Davis Robinson sitting behind me. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I'm, I'm shook because I'm like, I can't get away from this man. But this dude goes on to tell me, he goes, your cousin didn't tell you. You were on the front page of the local paper after that. Oh, no. They, they put it on the front page of him dunking on me. And it was bad because... My head was like at his chest, and he was just flushing it. Yeah, they did me dirty, <laughs> and my cousins remind me every time I see him. Yo, to think that you had lived it down, and Buddy wanted—he still kept talking to. He could have left you alone. 
He didn't have to say nothing to you at the movies. At all. He tell you how I did him dirty. Alright, this next person is from Michigan. Make mine quick, man. This was in Novi, Michigan at a powerhouse gym, right? It's a well-known gym in the area because the basketball court looks amazing, right? Man, on a random night, a night, uh, nighttime game, you know, just the locals running five on five, who walks in two-time champ Lindsey Hunter, right? He's coming in with his sons. His sons are in the run. Man, this dude that I know actually called him out and not only called Lindsey Hunter out, has the audacity to mention his JUCO and church league stats to Lindsey. Man, Lindsey bust out laughing. That man told him, man, you didn't do nothing in the league. I could take you. Man, old man fashion. Promise you, Bo. This man tucked in his shirt in his tearaway pants. I thought, this is about to be over. Man, that was the fastest 6-0 I've ever seen. When they got to 7, that man did the Kobe ISO, said, get out the way. Bo, he dunked, Lindsey dunked on this man so hard, he fell bounce like some old cartoon physics type stuff, looked him in the eye on the ground and said, the next time you see a train coming, you better get bust there. But that man got up, canceled his membership. We ain't never seen him again. True story. <laughs> Dog, I don't think I've ever seen Lindsey Hunter dunk a basketball before. I had no idea he was capable of such a thing. And apparently he had to let the homie know. Lindsey Hunter seemed like such a nice guy. Wow, by the way, Lindsey Hunter played 17 years in the NBA. <laughs> wow. I did. See, see, that's what you get messed with people. That's what you get. All right, and this last person is from Pomona. Well, Monty got a story about somebody getting dunked on, and this one is going to hit close to home because you'll know about it when I start talking. I can't say any names because it's bad for one person, and there could be some charges associated with it. But I grew up in Pomona, California, uh, and this is back in the mid-'90s when we used to do the runs over at Pitts College. Obviously, you know about that. So there was that open gym that folks would go to, and one of my buddies was playing. He actually is a cat that – is one of those guys that could have got to the NBA, but ankles happen, politics happen, and things did not work out for him. But long story short, he uh, spent a little time at Long Beach State, spent a little time in a school in the South that had a couple of uh, runs with summer league teams that just never made it to the league because of quote-unquote politics. But anyways, it was one of these open runs on a Saturday, and we were out there, and there was a guy that was, you know, he was a student at one of the schools. He was about 6'3", six, 6'4", but he was a ball player, but he wasn't a ball player, a D1 level ball player. So he was talking that talk, and my boy, who was very good, wasn't really putting forth the effort. You know how it is. Like, you know, guys are just trying to get a workout in the summertime. They're not really trying to ball. But this dude got to run in his mouth about how good he was in comparison to my guy. So anyways, comes down, hit the three on the dude. The dude's still talking mad gash. And he's like, all right, man, it's time to shut this dude up. So the next time he gets the ball, he literally takes it inbounds, dribbles up the court to do the guard, and he's yakking and saying, I'm about to dunk on you. I am about to dunk on you. I am about to dunk on you. And the guy is still talking, playing defense as hard as he could. But my man takes it down to the block, one step, drop step, yams on him. He yams on him so bad that the dude tried to block the shot, 
And it was that picture-perfect moment where his hands are in between the dude doing a two-hand tomahawk on him. So he gets dunked on, and he said, I told you I was going to dunk on you. I told you I was going to dunk on you. And the dude said, yeah, you told me that, but it's different around here. You know how those dudes in Claremont are. They start trying to talk about they from L.A., but they're not. Um, so he starts talking. He gets up on my man, runs up on him, swings on my boy. My boy ducks, punch misses. My boy swings on him, knocks him out cold. Lights out. My man is on the court. He's going. So he not only got dunked on, but he got dunked on, tossed some shit, and then got knocked out. It was that bad. All right, my man. Great. Yeah, dude, that's a series of L's right there. Banged on and banged on. Yikes. 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 But, let's say, sounds like he had it coming. But, hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Uh, Parker Owens has everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Also, thanks to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Um, Thanks to... Thanks to Peter Grant of the Wall Street Journal. Check out his story about office landlords defaulting on their loans. Also, thanks to Alana Akhtar of Insider. Check out her story on the Ohio train derailment at businessinsider.com. And thanks to Brian Walsh of Vox. Check out his story on the effects of education being disrupted by COVID. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.